chapter 6, and uh, we've been in Ephesians 6 for a while. We're about, we're on the downhill slide here. We're about to finish up. And so I spent some time uh, talking a lot about, you know, those first nine verses of Ephesians 6, uh, dealing with the, the ch- children and the father and the servants. And um, I'm going to touch tonight on just the masters for just a little bit. I'm not going to take a lot of time. Then we're going to jump in to the whole armor of God, which many of us, you know, some of us have heard our whole lives. Some of us, like me, I didn't know anything about the whole armor of God until I became a Christian. And, uh, and so um, I came late to that. But everyone needs to know about it, and, we, and it never hurts to go back and, and uh, cover it. So before we jump into tonight's study on, um, on uh, let me see, on revealing our true identity. Okay, that gives me some good, hang on here. Yeah, I'm going to pause right here. Let me just do a little review where we've been. So, because um, some of you are just joining us for the first time, we've been studying the book of Ephesians, and throughout this started all the way back in COVID, with, we've had several interruptions throughout that time, um, but we were talking about revealing our true identity, which is a great, this is a great book, great time to, to study a book like Ephesians, because it does give us our true identity, and in a, the world we live in, there's just a lot of people confused about their identity, I mean, uh, or <clears throat> uh, they're, they're too tied to their identity, right, they're their ethnicity, the the or whatever their gender, or they don't know what their gender is. I mean, it gets crazy. But what's really cool is when you get saved, God gives you your identity. Our identity is found in Christ. So that answers so many questions. And um, and so uh, the first thing that we saw when we studied uh, this is our purpose is to reveal Christ's efficiency, the church's unity, and the Christian's duty through the study of Paul's prison epistles. Uh, epistle to the Ephesians, building the body of Christ in the image and likeness of Christ, which is always what we're doing, and uh, revealing our true identity is the title. So <clears throat> the first couple chapters deals with the deity of Christ, so you're getting a high view of Christ, uh, and, and Christ is, is God manifest in the flesh, but he's sitting on the throne at the right hand of the Father. Uh, and then the Christian unity is in chapters 3 and 4, and then uh, 5 and 6 is the duty of the Christian, which is very practical. So we we covered all of those things. I'm not going to go back through all of this and uh, take your time. You, if you have an outline, you've been here. But in chapter 5 is when we started <clears throat> the discussion of the duty of the Christian. And it's our duty to walk like Christ. To And then we got to Ephesians chapter 5, 22 through 33. And wed like Christ, we revealed the, the picture of Christ in the church. Had some practical teaching on marriage there. And then uh, in, uh, in chapters uh, 6, verses uh, 10 through 18... Well, let me back up. In verses uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, uh, we spent uh, several weeks talking about waxing strong in Christ, and we'll continue that theme tonight. <clears throat> and that brings me to where we left off um, uh, last week, which was on uh, chapter 6 and verse 9. So if you have your text, let's just pause here. I'm going to wrap up our discussion of chapter 6 and verse 9 and move to verses 10 through 18. And we're going to talk about warring like Christ, and we're going to put a stick pin in 9 through 24 and talking about winning the peace through Christ later. So uh, Ephesians 6, I'm just going to read this uh, familiar passage to us and stop at verse 9 for now. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Uh, Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And... And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart, as unto Christ. 
not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. The word as was in there several times. It's really important. As and like, two very important words in Bible study. And then he goes on to say, knowing that whatsoever th- good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. So you get some perks regardless if you're bond or free. As long as you do the right thing, God's going to honor that. And so, uh, so praise the Lord for that. All right, so that left off where we are tonight. And if you have an old outline, I've got new ones out. You got the new outlines, by the way, are on the connections counter. Does anyone need a new outline for tonight that didn't get one? Like, Sharon, did you grab one on the way in? Awesome. Okay. Um, and so tonight, uh, we're just the, the last blank that we're, we're looking at, let me back up, is uh, on the warring like Christ. It's just simply the duty of a humble master, the duty of humble masters. In verse 9, it says, And ye masters do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also in heaven uh, neither is there respect to persons with him. So for those in, in charge, now, of course, he's talking about those that would be in charge of uh, servants or those that would be um, the master of anything. A teacher is also a master in the New Testament. Uh, but those that you have oversight of, uh, and it's not dealing necessarily with just, you know, ecclesiastical authority. Um, it's dealing with masters in general, right? And so... If you get a master's degree, that means you've mastered this, a subject, supposedly, and uh, and you are now, you know, somewhat of an authority, right? That's what that is supposed to indicate. And so these are people in authority. <clears throat> well, people in authority have a duty to be humble. Have you ever thought about it? You almost, if this, they ought to teach this a lot more. If you are an authority, you have a duty to be humble. It's your job to be a humble person, be a humble. You think of humbleness and humility, we think about servants but uh, obviously you need to be humble if you're a servant or you're not going to survive but as a master you really got to exercise yourself to be humble so the duty of uh, the duty of humble masters and and masters are to be servants to the king of kings um, and it's very clear do the same things unto them for bearing threatening knowing that your master your master also is in heaven so if you are in authority um, you are under authority. Does anybody else hear that weird high-pitched noise? Okay, it's just me. All right, maybe it's just I'm just having a, a weird time. Hey, guys, how's it going? Um, so so if you are, there's a book, good book that Watchman Nee wrote called uh, Spiritual Authority. Has anybody read that? Oh, like one of us, two of us in here. If you're looking for a book to read on authority, that's a great book. It's called Spiritual Authority by Watchman Nee. And uh, he's wrote a couple, he wrote a couple good books. But uh, that one's a real good one. And, and uh, back years ago, our church had a church split. Uh, not this church, praise the Lord, but another a church that we were sent out of. And that, I, I got that book and I read it because there were everybody, it was like Book of Judges. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. I mean, it was crazy. And so, um, so I got this book, Spiritual Authority, and it was really good for, uh, for me at the time. But it's a good book, and it really, it really, it really drills down this point that um, you know if you are in authority, you are under authority. You're, you're never like you're never really not under authority, no matter who you think you are. Even Satan thinks he's all that in a bag of chips, but he's he's under authority. I mean, God's going to put him down eventually because he won't submit to authority. So so uh, so so masters are to be servants 
of the king of kings, right? They're to be under the master, capital M, by the way, right? Notice in verse 9, if you've got a King James Bible, which most of you certainly do, and ye masters, small m, right? Lowercase m, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master, capital M, proper pronoun, also, uh, also is in heaven, right? So when we're dealing with the master, it's a, it's, it's a, proper, it's a proper noun. I said pronoun, proper noun. I don't know why I said pronoun. It's a proper noun. And so uh, it's a title you are under. So all the masters of this world, no matter what they think, are really, they're small m's. There's only one big m, right? Capital, like, uh, uh, so there's only one capital M master, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so we're to do the same things unto them. And what does that really mean, practically? Let me just ask you, what does it mean to do the same things unto them? And you guys, quit, stop it. Quit flooding me with answers and responses. You're just overwhelming me. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Belinda, that's good. Do unto others, she said for the, the audio. Belinda says, do unto others as they do unto you. That's good. Any? Ron's correcting us about something. What did you say, Ron? Oh, as you would have them do unto you. Okay, anybody else? I'll give you a hint. Everything we've already covered it would be contained in that. And, and exactly what Belinda said. So when you think about it, obedience, a child, children, obey your parent. Okay, so obedience. Hey, if you're in charge, you need to obey. You can't ask people to obey if you don't obey. That's, what's that called? Hypocrisy. And what will that breed? Rebellion. Um, so so you've got to obey. Um, you got to nurture, right? You got to nurture fathers. You know, don't provoke people to wrath. Don't be a jerk face, right? Don't prod people. Don't poke them. You know, be be a nurturer. Um, and then a, a servant, right? Well, a servant is to to serve, right? That's we saw that. Uh, they're also to be obedient <clears throat> unto their masters, according to the flesh. With all, so we should have a fear and trembling and singleness of heart to the the Lord. And so we should, those are all things that should be part of our, our nature. If God puts you, and he will, he put, you know, the neat thing about this little outline in the first nine verses is most people find themselves in that outline almost all the time. We're all, we're all, we're all born, we're all children of somebody. We're, we're all, we're oftentimes, we're parents, not everybody is, but, um, but you know, we're working toward that, and we're in that position. Uh, and we're also servants. We're usually working for the man somewhere. And we're also in responsible positions, overseeing different things. You know, um, it may be, you know, whatever. It may be the local uh, Rotary Club. I don't know. But, you know, God has put you in charge of something. And so all of these things can be worked out in your life as a Christian. And so, you know, obeying the Lord, submitting to the Lord, nurturing and admonishing, ad admonishing I should say, as a good father, teaching as a good father would do. Uh, and then focusing on serving Christ, you know, with singleness of heart. That's integrity, right? So a master needs to be focused on, the, uh, on, the, on serving the master with a capital M. So that's, that's pretty cool to me how that all just kind of works itself together in that passage there. And then masters are to be humble and obedient. And Jesus is the example. So if we're looking at the, the master, capital M, was he not humble? I, not, there's no one any more humble. He humbled, Philippians chapter 2, he humbled himself. 
became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. So he is the most humble. There's, you know, there's no one more exalted, but there's also no one more humble. Right? So about the time you think, man, he's full of himself, then you're like, well, no, he's not. <laughs> not at all. Not, not, not even a little bit full of himself. He's just not. It's just like, oh, man, we're so messed up, but he's not. And that's why we submit to him. He is the master, man. He's the one we follow. He's also an example of um, you know, being patient and kind and truthful, right, and generous. So, you know, if, you're, if God puts you in charge of, of employees or, uh, or whatever, of something, these are things this is good to always remember. Because uh, many, many of us wear these, all of these hats all the time. All four of those hats are on our head. Uh, and so that's important stuff. Also, masters are to live in light of Jesus' judgment. There's certainly an expectation. Remember I said masters I think is, it carries some authority. It does. And if you're in authority, you're under authority. You're also, when something goes wrong, right, everybody's pointing the finger at you. Back when the COVID thing was going on, everybody was upset with the World Health Organization. Man, they were supposed to be the authority. You know, why didn't you tell us the truth? You know, everybody's mad at some dude that he's like, because I'm caught. You know, I'm caught between everything. You know, and he's not. He's not made for that. He's not Jesus. He's just some lost dude, probably. And uh, he didn't know what to do. I'm not saying that's an excuse, but you know what? When you're in authority, people expect you to do the right thing, and there's judgment when you don't. And so, um, so. There, there's a warning about not being uh, too many masters. Look over in James 3. Somebody grab chapter 3 of James and verse 1 and read that aloud. Um, and if you could raise your hand before you read it, I want to run the mic to you. So, Or I, I can have someone run it. Anybody? James 3, 1? All right. Thank you, Mrs. Alvarez. You're... A gentlewoman and a scholar. Doing this for Jesus. <laughs> yeah, go Emmy. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. <clears throat> yeah, that's a pretty sober warning. So what's that mean? Be not many masters. Right. So, yeah, if you're, if you're in charge, you have a greater accountability. So, like, don't be so eager to <laughs> be a chief. Right, you've heard this thing: too many chiefs and not enough Indians. James is saying you don't want to be a chief because there's a greater accountability. Just exactly what Pam said: there's a <clears throat> they'll receive the greater condemnation. So, uh, so being responsible for souls is a sobering responsibility. Look over in uh, in Luke chapter twelve. You probably I, I quote this quite often actually. Luke chapter twelve. Um, somebody read Luke twelve and verse forty eight. Actually, if you could, Emmy, can you run that to whoever says they'll read it? Who will read Luke twelve forty eight? You got it. All right. Yeah, pass the COVID. That's a COVID free microphone. So, Caleb, if you could run it over to Nick, please. It's on. Yeah, it'll, it's automatic. <coughs> Be that, or be he that knew not and did not, or did commit things worthy of stripes, shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much of him, they will ask the more. 
Right. So, man, if somebody is given a lot of responsibility, there's a lot of, well, responsibility. That means the consequences are higher. Uh, because if you know to do good and don't do it, the Bible says that's sin. And if you're entrusted with responsibility, man, it's on you. So our inclination, when you're a master, you don't have the luxury of blaming it on everybody else. Even if it's everybody else's fault, you're responsible. (laughs) And so I learned, I tell you, a good place, I I don't want to say too much about the last subject, about being a servant, but one of the best places I learned that was when I was, uh, uh, I learned so much on the job, being in construction and being a project manager, man. I tell you, you got this whole job is on you, but really, especially when you're in a union company, if you don't have a card, which I didn't, then I cannot literally, even if I wanted to, I cannot like go up and work on anything. I can't get out and do, I can't go, I can't do anything other than manage. So this whole thing is wait, I mean, if you win or lose money wise, it's on you, but you really can't do anything other than go to meetings and Tell people when to get to work and when to get off work and make sure everybody gets their supplies on time. You know, that's about it. You coordinate it. And so Amy and I were just talking about that with the construction. And the times like this, if you're a project manager, oh, my goodness, uh, you're sweating it. Why? Because the economy's slowing down. All of a sudden, your guys start slowing down. Even though you're, they're your buddies, <laughs> they don't want to get laid off. If they don't see work around the corner, you may have a real profitable job. You'll just watch those profits go and uh, man, you're sitting there as a as a as a project manager, going, "What do I do?" You do everything you can to influence people in a way that they will get the job done on time, under budget. Uh, and uh, but but you can't always do that because it's it's in your hands. At the end of the day, the point is, who's responsible? Well, the project manager. That's why they hired you. They don't really care. They don't really care what the circumstances are. They only care about one thing. What's that one thing? Making money, making a profit, right? That's all they care about. And so you got to make, it's your deal, man. You're in charge. That's how it works. And so uh, you'll be beaten with more stripes. <laughs> so, so that's how it works. And so uh, that was a good lesson, though, because ministry is a lot like that. That's why I bring it up. You have this responsibility oftentimes, but you can't, you're in a vo- completely volunteer organization uh, for the most part. We have some staff at Heartland, but this church in particular Man, do we have volunteers. This is a volunteering, working church, giving church, awesome church. And at the end of the day, you know, nobody twisted your arm to get here tonight. I didn't, like, go to your house and say, you got to come to Bible study. You came because you came, right? The guys working in the booth and doing the AV uh, tonight, the gals and guys, uh, they're doing that out of the goodness of their heart, you know, because they serve Jesus. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, and getting back to the, the one through nine cycle there, um, good point, Pam. It's set up like that as a family, right? So if you're the husband, you're responsible. That's it. Now, that doesn't mean everything that your wife did or your kids did is absolutely right and it wasn't on them. But at the end of the day, who's God going to look at? Adam? Adam, where are you? Right? He addresses Eve, but who do you address first? He, he addresses Adam. Really good point, Pam. Good point. So look at 1 Corinthians 9, 16 uh, as well. And someone want to read that? 1 Corinthians 9, 16 through 18. Three verses. It's a big chunk of chunk of Bible there. 1 Corinthians 9, 16 through 18. Pam going to do that? Luke. 
Thanks, Pam. 1 Corinthians 9, 16-18. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me, if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward, but if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. What is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. Okay, so here we we see that the Apostle Paul is um, in a situation where he says, you know what, I have a responsibility. Now, he wants to do it, right? I want to do it too. But at the end of the day, woe unto me if I don't do that. Why? Because I've been put in a position to do this. Now, that, that applies really to everybody in the body of Christ at, at different levels. All of us have been saved and been given a responsibility to go. Go ye therefore in the context of our calling and our gifting in the body, but we all have a responsibility. Not everybody's called to be a missionary or pastor or deacon or whatever, but within the context that God's placed you in the body, you are there to contribute to the overall will of God and to the furtherance of the gospel, expanding the kingdom of God. Woe unto us if we don't do that. Mm. Right? Paul's like, man, I have a responsibility here. Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. A dispensation of the gospel now, that's really, that's really meaningful, has been committed unto me. So literally, the gospel that Paul preached, the gospel of grace that we preach, that was committed unto him. What if he wouldn't have shared it? That would have been incredibly weighty, and he understood that. There's a responsibility that to whom much is given, much is required. Romans fourteen twelve says, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to, the, to, to God. I mean, we're all going to give account. Now, if you're lost, you're going to give account the great white throne judgment without any advocate, without any propitiation, without any covering for sin. If you're saved, we're going to give account for the things done in the body, whether they be good or bad, at the, at the what? Judgment seat of Christ. That's right. The judgment seat of Christ. So we're all going to give account. And so we ought, to, we ought to be thinking about that. You know what? To whom much is given, much is required. And we all will give an account. Uh, 1 Peter 5 is my next. Anybody want to read 1 Peter 5? 1 Peter 5 and verse 1 through 4. This is specifically dealing with elders. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. Caleb's going to read it. Thank you, Pamela. And not Pamela Anderson, which we have Pamela Anderson. Everyone needs to come to Bible study. I forgot to tell you, Pamela Anderson is here. Do you mind if I do that, Pam? You don't care. It may not be the same one you're looking for, but this one's better. But anyway, so go ahead, Caleb. First Peter chapter 5, 1 through 4. The elders which are among you I exhort, who I am also an elder and a witness of sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. All right. Thank you. That's very... So this is specifically dealing with elders and pastors uh, in a church. 
And so how, how is an elder supposed to lead? By example. You're supposed to lead by example. And you're supposed to not be the Lord. You're not supposed to mismanage, right? The flock. You're not supposed to lord over the flock. You're supposed to lead them by the example. So you're not to put yourself above everybody. That's Nicolaitan. That's what that is. God hates that. God hates the deeds and the doctrine of Nicolaitans in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. So, uh, so you don't want to be a Nicolaitan. And, and, and so the, the conversely, though, if we serve the Lord Jesus and are an example, there's a reward. So not only is there, you know, obviously a judgment, but there's also a reward. And so, uh, so that's really a good passage. There's a lot there. You're not to do it by constraint, but willingly, right? Oh, man, I got to do this. No, it's something you, you want to do, uh, not for money's sake, not by constraint, but having a ready mind. So having the mind ready is the key. All right, so, so that's, we learn a lot just by one verse there in Ephesians chapter uh, 6 and verse 9, dealing with masters. We could probably go on, but... It's important that we comprehend those basic responsibilities of a he- healthy Christian development and the responsibilities uh, that, that kind of grow, right? And they continue to increase because our duty to wax strong is as simple as being obedient children, loving fathers, faithful servants, humble masters. And all of us in ev- are in every one of these phases in the course of physical life and Obviously, in our spiritual life, that happens as well. If you look at our seven stages or eight stages of discipleship, you know those it tracks right along there, right? As you as you as you grow from repentance, enlightenment, um, uh, leadership development, uh, leadership responsibility, reevaluation, separation, leadership, um, uh, you know, leadership, greater leadership responsibility, and then world vision, and so and then new, of course, new life is the eighth stage. So, uh, man, that's. That's all contained really in those first, uh, really in those in that cycle or those processes that you see a, a person go through naturally, also happens spiritually. We're all children of God, right? If we're saved, if you're saved, you are a child of God. First John three is very clear, verses one through three. You're sons of God. Does not yet appear that you shall be. So we're all to be reproducing spiritually and leading others as disciples. We're all supposed to be doing that. Think about that. And not everybody has to be a discipler in the sense that I'm going to walk you through 16 lessons, although that would be great if you could do that. But everyone ought to be leading by example, and, and people ought to be following you into the kingdom of God, period. That's discipleship. And, and you should be growing yourself, and, and others should be coming up, growing behind you. And so that's really what it's all about, is waxing stronger, growing, right? Waxing, not waxing the floor, wax on. Is that wax off, wax on, whatever? You know, that's back. That's come back. Now I talk about that, and the kids know because it's so old that it's come back in style, right? Karate kid. So anyway, so waxing is not waxing the car uh, or the windows or the floor. It's uh, it's it's growing in, right? Waxing strong. And so to wax strong in Christ and be ready for the evil day and spiritual war- war- warfare. Uh, is is really is, is it calls us to internalize what we just covered in those first nine verses, so uh, it's really not something you just want to look over and then jump to the whole armor of God, but we do jump to the whole armor of God. We always jump to the whole armor of God. When we're teaching our kids, we jump to the whole armor of God. When we teach adults, we jump to the whole armor of God because that's exciting. Warfare, warfare, 
problem with that is you're not ready for warfare. If you don't know what obedience, what's the first thing a, a soldier has to do? He's got he's to learn to be obedient, right? That's, that's the bottom line. What do they do? They, they strip you of your identity. They give you an identity. And then you've got to care for your brother because you're not a person anymore. You're a unit. And then you've got to serve. And when you become a leader, your job, you're responsible for your group. If you make a mistake, your whole, your whole group could die. Serious business, right? And so all of these things that, that, that seem so, well, those are just, that's just children and servants. And, well, hey, guys, that's, that's, the, that's the good stuff. That's what gets you to be a soldier. And so when we've exercised uh, faith, the faith of Christ in our life, then God will call us into battle. And, and so you're, you're not battle ready unless your character has been developed like a soldier. And so we don't need infants going to war, but faithful men and women who understand the precious nature of obedience, faithfulness, submission, and humility. Right? That's, that's what you see in those first nine verses. Obedience, faithfulness, submission, and humility. And that's not on your outlines because we haven't gotten to that. That's just finishing up last week. So thank you for your time, and we're not done. All right, so um, I just wanted to finish that up. Thank you. There's only one fill in the blank on that if you were looking for it. And that is uh, the duty of humble masters. All right, so I want to transition now to this next, uh, these next uh, eight verses um, in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. And... <clears throat> Let me get back there to the text. And let's look at the, that's what it says. Now that we kind of got that down, the text goes on to say, finally, that's what you're, you were saying, finally, man, we've been waiting on this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now, verse 18 connects you to verses 19 through the end of the chapter, which you know that, but it's really a good connection. I'll get to that later. But those, how many of you, I mean, uh, how many of you like known that verse, those passages? I'm just curious, just you know it like the back of your hand. Okay, most of us, yeah. I didn't, like I said, I didn't even know this existed in my Bible Till I was a, late in my teens. And uh, I was introduced to me by this TV preacher. Uh, his name was Fred Price. And uh, I would sit in my house with my Bible open, uh, watching this charismatic preacher uh, from L.A. or wherever he's at. And he would get up and say, We walk by faith, not by sight. And uh, I'd sit there, and man, he just worked this passage and just walked us through the whole armor. I'll just never forget it. It was one of the best things that ever, I mean, I was really just eating this stuff up. Every day I would be ready to go with my Bible open. I had no idea this guy's doctrine. I had no idea. But once he went off of Ephesians uh, chapter 6 and got into his charismatic doctrine, I was like, hey, that ain't right. That's not what I've been learning at church. But God used him uh, for a season in my life to really magnify, you know, this passage. And, and uh, it's, it's just amazing because now it's kind of like ho-hum. 
you know, I've seen this a million times. But uh, I can still remember how cool it was to see it the first time. And just to know, you know, that you don't have to be a wimp, number one, this is a real battle. And uh, it really stuck with me because the longer you're saved, the more you realize uh, the, there are real battles in, in regard to Christianity. And so tonight I want to just uh, jump off into this, and I'm not going to get through it all. I can tell you that right now. Uh, we've done some, we're not going to get into winning the peace through Christ. We're going to start on warring like Christ, but we want to war like Christ. Oh, I found out where my, uh, this thing was squealing at me, man. It was freaking me out. Uh, okay, there we go. So tonight I just want to do a little introduction of these verses that we've read. And, uh, and so we'll, we'll just go as far as we can tonight. But uh, we've progressed from waxing strong in Christ to preparing for battle. So we've really, we're getting ready. So we don't, uh, we don't send babies into battle, do we? We shouldn't. We should send, and, and by the way, forgive me, but yes, we should send men. Uh, we should. I'm not saying women can't engage in, in, uh, in the armed forces at all. But my daughter would be the first daughter that would want to sign up to go to battle. And I'd be like, over my dead body, no. Uh, why, why do I feel that way? He's precious to me. I want to protect her. That's the way it should be. You don't send your women to the front of the battle. It's upside down and backwards, like many other things in our culture. So, whatever. Uh, I didn't. I'm not against women soldiers, in the sense of military. But man, be be kind. And uh, anyway, I just got off on a hobby horse. Forgive me. All right. So, First Corinthians fourteen twenty. Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit, which you got it on the screen there, uh, howbeit in malice be children, but in understanding be men. So that's, that, that's a pretty interesting passage, because Paul's just ripping through the, the Corinthians there, and they're all out of order. That same chapter, he says, do things decently in order. What he's trying to do is build discipline. He's trying to teach them, again, the things that they should already know. They aren't disciplined. They're not a unit. They're not a unit. They're not a good fighting unit. The Corinthians are all messed up. They're fighting with each other instead of the enemy. And so, so God's like, through Paul, saying, get your act together. Grow up. And, um, because you can't send children into battle. So men are to be in understanding, right, uh, be men. In malice, well, be a child, right? Um, don't, 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 uh, be, don't, don't be maligning other people. Be like a child. Be innocent. Give them the benefit of the doubt. You can do that. But when it comes to, but, uh, it comes to understanding what the will of the Lord is, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To depart from evil is understanding. Children obey, right? Be, be men. Be faithful. Be focused. Be serious about following the Lord. So maturity is required to entrust, with, uh, to entrust uh, people with God's mission. So Jesus, he spent three and a half years walking with his disciples, right? And that was Jesus. And they still weren't quite ready, were they? I mean, they were ready. He, he prepared them, but they still had some learning to do. Uh, and so he, he took three and a half years with his disciples, walking with them. But when Jesus went to the cross that day, they all fled, but John. Of course, Judas betrayed him, and the others fled. Only John stood in there. And, and I tell you what, guys, the, the spiritual, the weight of the spiritual war was so heavy 
They thought they were going to die for, I mean, Thomas, I'll die for Jesus, right? And he would have. I think Thomas would have laid his life down. But when it came to the spiritual war, they all shrunk, you know, other than John. Because it's intense. And you can't get, you can't just, you can't just tap dance your way into spiritual warfare. You really got to have your act together. And churches, by the way, that's not what we're doing. We're not actively engaging people. And who wants to get involved in spiritual warfare? You know where we leave the teaching on spiritual warfare? We leave it over here in the E-wing with the little kids. You know, which we should teach the little kids, by the way. Yes, that's part of it. But we don't, it's not just a children's story, right? Uh, it's, it's about what we're doing as a body of Christ. Now, I think as the days go forward, the church might be waking up a little more and go, oh, whoa, it's serious. If we go to sleep, it affects everybody. <laughs> Bingo, because you're salt and light, and we're the pillar and ground of truth. Hold fast to the faithful words you've been taught. You think it's all going to be easy? Well, think again. As a matter of fact, it could get so intense it could shock you, like the apostles. Whoa, this wasn't, this wasn't the way I thought it was going to go. What in the world? Well, you've got to have your bearings to be able to handle that kind of stuff. That's called spiritual warfare. Uh, Peter was still clinging to his physical sword, wasn't he? Right? I mean, he was ready to go to war, but he just didn't understand. This isn't physical war, Peter. I don't need... Jesus like, put that thing down. I, yes, you'll need a sword, but not now. Right? You can carry your gun, concealed carry, but your mission is to get the gospel out. Don't get so caught up in your concealed carry permit that you forgot about your, your real weapon. Right? This is your weapon. This is your gun. <laughs> Take this out and use it. Right? And it's a sharp two-edged sword. And you know, interestingly enough, isn't that interesting after that incident? So it's all going down. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about just after the Lord's Supper, after they fail in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and Judas rolls up to take Jesus away. You know, Peter, he's all of a sudden... He couldn't pray through, but he was going to get his sword out and power through, right? Isn't he just like all of us? <laughs> he was fired up. And, you know, he chops the guy's ear off because everybody says he missed. He probably did. He probably didn't even have a good, good aim. And so, and Jesus puts the ear back on. But you remember what happened? When Jesus spoke, what happened? They fell down. He just speaks and they go, what in the world? They're in awe because he's awesome. That's, that's the spirit. The, the sword is his word. And that's, a, that's an analogy, right? Peter's reaching for this physical sword, and he's like, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, right? They're spiritual. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That's what Peter, Paul would say later, but that's what Peter was learning as a disciple. Now, he was through discipleship. He passed D1, you know? But the spiritual war was like, it was a lot. It was a lot for him to, and by the way, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not dissing on Peter, by the way. If you study Peter's life, by the way, he has got the most difficult pastoral job in the Bible. Peter was a pastor. He wasn't just an apostle. He was the apostle, but he also was navigating all this transition from the Jews to the Gentiles. And yeah, we like to crack on him because that's how he handled the, the you know the Gentiles and the barbecue and all that stuff and he and Paul cracked on him and all that's true Peter Peter and he he had his issues but he also really managed a lot of difficult issues uh, in a tra- in a very difficult time a transition he did a good job he was the right man for the job um, and so 
uh, Peter was, he was still clinging to that physical sword, right? Uh, he'd been discipled. He had the knowledge, but the spiritual warfare was a lot, right? You can have a lot of knowledge about God, understanding that apart from evil is understanding. So Peter, man, he was, he was learning that what proceeded out of the mouth of Jesus was what he really, really had to pay attention to. So before we're ready to, for battle, every soldier goes through boot camp. And they, what they do, as I've already mentioned, they lose their identity, they become part of a fighting unit, and they serve their platoon, and they give up their rights and become property of the government for which they serve. Uh, they brainwash them, right? And that's exactly what they do, so that they can serve as a fighting unit. And so any, anyone, anyone here military, former military? And we're all just a bunch of lilies in here, aren't we? None of us have served in the military. I don't know what I'm talking about. It's so funny. I was at a conference a couple of years ago, and this guy comes, a missionary comes up to me and says, man, Brian, he goes, did you serve in the military? And I'm like, no. He goes, everything you say is military. And I was like, I, I didn't know what to say. I never thought about that before. You know why that is, though? After I, I, did, I had thought about it after that conversation. Everything in my Bible is military. There is a big war going on, and... I recognize that. And it's not, it's not the left and the right. It's not America versus Russia or China. It's God versus the devil, right? And all that other stuff is, is, is a, a currents that, that are definitely play into that. But at the end of the day, it's God versus the devil. Whose side are you on, right? Whose family are you in, right? That's a big deal, and it's a big mission. And so you've got to be mature to, to understand how to approach that thing. And so... Uh, if the same thing that happens in a military um, preparation for war, for battle, happens in the church. The first thing happens is you lose your identity. That's what happens. I was alive once, then I was dead. But then I was quickened again. Right? My life is hid in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I just put those verses all backwards and around, but you know what I'm saying? I, I'm a new person. The life that I live now, well, I live in, I, my life is hid in Christ. I'm no longer who I was. Well, wait a minute, you are who you were. No, I'm really not. You just think I am. Okay, now you're crazy. Exactly. God needs a bunch of people so convinced of who they are in Christ that they'll do anything. Now, that kind of talk does scare people. But that's the truth. We got to know who we really are. That's the first. You got to change your identity, and you got to be part of a unit. Cowboys don't work for Jesus, right? We got to be part of the unit. The local body, the church, the local New Testament church is the vehicle. It is the unit in which every New Testament Christian has to function, or they're not going to function. They're going to get out there. They're going to get stranded, and they're going to get stuck in a ditch. And there are no. There is no. It, that doesn't mean God doesn't call people out to do special tasks and stuff. But I'm saying. Those people that do that stuff have submitted themselves at the local church first. Those are missionaries. Uh, and so, so anyway, I'm, getting, I'm not going to get very far. But anyway, so we lose our identity. We become part of a fighting unit. We serve in the platoon. Uh, right? That's our heartland. We've got adult Bible fellowships. We've got ministry groups. Uh, we've got the body is broken down. So what maybe you would call a service team or a ministry group, this this this. This church breaks down into smaller units, adult Bible fellowship units that are headed by uh, other pastors. And then there's ministry heads like Mitch and others that are leading areas of ministry. 
right? And then we're in smaller groups, and everybody's going in and out to battle all the time. We come back on Sunday, we refresh, we get we get orders from from uh, on high, right? We get we get downloaded our, our our information from what God wants us to do, so we can keep going in the campaign because we're going somewhere. We're going to heaven, yes. But in the meantime, he's left us on earth to accomplish his mission, his power for his glory. And so we're all about it. All right, so Mr. Sandman. <laughs> so before, before we're ready for battle, every soldier has to get ready um, physically, mentally, emotionally. So we're bought with a price, and God calls us to renew our mind and be ready to stand in the evil day. So there's no better time to stand uh, than now, and there's no better time to study this passage than now. So we looked at verses uh, 10 through 18. I'm not going to read that again. Uh, the first thing that we need to see is that we've got to grow up so we can stand up, right? So we've got to grow up if we're going to stand up. Grow up so you can stand up. Growing is a priority. It is, it is a big priority in the Bible. <clears throat> and it's important to understand the priority of spiritual maturity because it, ha- it doesn't just happen overnight. It's a progression, Right? I know we'd all like to just be mature, like when you're a kid, right? You just I just can't wait till I'm an adult. Then you're an adult and you're like, man, that was so nice to be a kid. And so there's a progression. You don't have to you don't have to rush it. It comes on it's just like, man, just just go through it decently and in order and it'll come. Ephesians six is is that progression. We've already looked at it, which prepares the believer to engage in spiritual warfare. And it's not until you're spiritually mature that Satan really takes notice of the threat which you possess to the, the plans to hinder the kingdom of God. So with maturation comes a necessity of defense. You need to take a defensive posture, not only for yourself, but for the others that God is calling you to defend. Because if you go down, you're taking others with you. Right? Dad, mom, you go down, you're taking others with you. It's going to have an impact. I was just sharing. I was sharing this week with somebody. I won't get into specifics, but the damage of a, of a young child that, uh, well, not a young child actually, an older child that was one time, their parents were getting a divorce, and just the the pain, I could not reconcile. I could not help them. It's terrible. Thanks, parents, Christians, for putting that on the pastor's lap. I mean, really. I'm not complaining. Really, I'm not. I'm here to help people. But I'm being sober. Come on, man. Get your marriage together so I don't have to watch your kid's heart break in half. Now, I'm not saying if you've had a divorce that you can't always, can't always help that. All right, so that's not what I'm saying. Um, the case I was dealing with, it could have been helped. So, anyway. Um, anyway, it's sad. It's heartbreak, man. It's hurt. There's real anguish that goes on in real life and you guys know that well you can't you got man we got to stand and we can't stand it's it's only god that keeps us right so he keeps our feet from slipping we got to be completely dependent on him so point b um christians must grow up if we're going to man up right you got to grow up to man up christian warriors are not a serious threat until they reach maturity that's when you really become a threat And spiritual maturity develops apart, by the way, from physical maturity. There's some young people that might be more mature than their parents in the Lord or emotionally. 
By the way, if you don't mature emotionally, it will affect your spiritual maturity. There is something about being emotionally healthy that helps you mature spiritually. I've discipled people, and it's like, man, they got all the right knowledge, but they can't execute on the right action. They're physically adults. Spiritually, they got all the right information, but why can't they really engage in the battle without being easily offended, thrown off course, you know, feelings hurt all the time? What is wrong? Oh, it took me some years, probably a decade, honestly, before I actually figured that out. I'm like, oh, that's emotional immaturity. Those folks have never developed. They had issues. That they, that it gets back to their rearing. Not that, I'm not into psychology. I, I believe the Bible is all you need. But at the same time, didn't we just read in those first nine verses about how fathers treat their kids? Yeah, we did. And when you don't treat your kids right, it's going to jack them up. I'm not saying God doesn't overcome that because God can overcome anything. But I tell you what, it does have an impact on people's ability to really understand. This is what happens. This isn't in my notes, but I just since I'm talking, since we're just having a conversation, you know, I see Nathan over here. He's dad to a bunch of kids, right? And those kids become adults. You got adults and you got newborns. You know what? Mr. Cavan, his kids, for a while, what they know about God the Father is what they see in dad. Now, when they grow, get older, they'll, they'll develop their own understanding of who God the Father is. But you know what? The kids need a good example, don't they? And so when you don't give them a, a good... Now, no father's perfect other than Nathan, but no, no father's perfect. I'm just giving you a hard time, bro. No father's perfect, so relax. You know, we all make mistakes. That's why we take our kids to God the Father and say he's perfect. But the reality is, is that, is that it does affect the kids, right? What we do as parents will give them a view and give them a, a perspective that may or may not be accurate. Now, I will tell you, I can, I'll tell you that that's not an excuse. So, you know, your daddy treated you poorly and all that. I'm sorry. Uh, you do need to readjust your mind. You need to get a biblical worldview, but that's still not an excuse. You have to deal with it and grow past it, and God can give you the grace to grow past that. So there, I'm not, there is no excuse because Jesus is enough. The word of God is enough. Uh, you, can, you, can be an, you are a new creature. You have a new father. You can go forward in faith. Um, <clears throat> but emotional immaturity will affect your spiritual maturity for sure. And that'll affect your ability to stand in the day of battle is what it boils down to. Um, and so spiritual maturation has less to do with physical age than it does with character. Uh, we saw in the first nine verses of Ephesians, there are great examples in scripture of young people who display the character required to put on the armor of God, right? So, you know, you know, folks like David versus Goliath, you know, everyone knows that story. Um, you know, Samuel as a young man, First Samuel 3.19, and Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and he did let none of his words fall to the ground. When you read First Samuel chapter 3, the first few chapters uh, there after Samuel's born, uh, Samuel has more character as a young, young man. Daniel, young, char- I mean, these guys had character. Hanani, Mishael, Azariah, more character than people... 10 times their age, or five times their age, or whatever. Uh, however much older Eli was, and Hophni and Phinehas, and all these other adults that were around them, uh, David's brothers. I don't know how David's dad, Jesse, rolled, but I mean, not everybody was a good example. Look at, look at, a, guy, look at a guy like Jonathan in the Bible. What a great guy he was. 
uh, wonder, there's some really awesome Benjamite soldiers when you read, I'm in that in my daily reading. I'm just looking at these, a lot of great people, but Saul wasn't one of them, <laughs> you know, and, uh, but his son was outstanding. Um, and, and so, you know, David's family wasn't ideal, but David was outstanding. So it's not about how old you are. There can be young people that have more character than, than, than me, have more integrity, are more focused on God. That's all it takes. Um, God forbid that we would be that immature, but it happens, and it works its way out in spiritual warfare. I already quoted that. So point C, God provides Christians a way to measure up. He provides the Christians a way to measure up. God provides a way to measure the level of your spiritual maturity. Did you all know that? I hope so. Some of you know this. Some of you may not. So I, I alluded to this earlier, and I mentioned an eighth stage, because at Heartland we have an eighth stage, but this is pretty much our standard measuring tool. So when you think about discipleship at Heartland, a lot of people think about discipleship as discipleship one, 16 lessons, whatever, and, and that is, that's the first steps of discipleship because it's just a simple, basic, foundational understanding and agreement on this is the basics of the Word of God, the fundamentals. Fundamental, that's why we're, I know there's a lot of Baptists that say we're not fundamental, but we are fundamental, Bible-believing, local, New Testament church. Uh, okay, so we start that with discipleship. So we just walk people through repentance, right? Enlightenment. Repentance is a change of heart and mind that brings a change of life. Change of heart and mind that brings a change in life. So a change occurs in one's life when he trusts Jesus Christ as his Savior. That would, You could find that in Ephesians 6.1. Children obey. You obey the gospel, you change. Uh, enlightenment. All right, the decision to, to repent and trust Christ uh, is a reality in the believer's life. They begin to experience their new nature. Right? The whole, the whole world comes alive. Next thing you know, Nobody's babysitting them. Nobody's asking them. They're, they're just sitting down with their Bible open watching TV preachers, you know, because they're just crazy that way. You know, they just get, get out of their mind about wanting to eat the Word of God. Enlightenment. The Bible starts to come alive. There's ministry training that occurs after that, right? Um, adolescence. Servant. Got to do it. Right now it's time to take out the trash, son. Right? It's time to clean your room. Uh, no, you can make those hot dogs. Uh, Mama's been making them hot dogs for a long time. You're old enough to make your own hot dogs. <laughs> That's right. They start taking on responsibility, serving. Um, the Christian begins to develop the character of a servant. And he observes and he learns. And then, well, before long, he's participating in the work of ministry. He's kind of around it. And the next thing you know, he's, he's in it. He's just doing it. And then there's that leadership development. I alluded to this earlier as well. The Christian grows in his relationship with Christ to the place that others begin to show, <clears throat> uh, begin to, um, that he begins to show others or she how to follow Christ as they've been taught. And the next thing you know, they're like going to the children's ministry, not because they have to, because they want to. And those kids respond to him and they, they actually obey, maybe. And they, and they, and they learn and they're, and they're going somewhere with the, I mean, they're actually leading as they follow the leadership. They're, lead, they're leading, and God is working leadership development in their life. They're not all the way where they got to go yet, but they're developing. And then there's that day that comes, that day of reevaluation, separation, right? And then I've added renewed consecration to that. 
the Christian grows to the place that they know everything. You know, because don't we all? They know it all. And, uh, and it requires a time of testing to prove the true commitment and motives of the disciple. Right? That's a master. They're getting ready to do their master's degree because they thought they knew everything. Oh, no, no, that's just your bachelor's. You just graduated high school. <laughs> you haven't learned nothing yet, right? You'll be calling dad in a hurry once you can't fix your car. <laughs> so so you, think you're, you think you got some knowledge under your belt. You think you got some ministry experience. Uh, Peter, you haven't seen nothing yet. You haven't. I know, yeah, Thomas, I know you'll die. Yeah, I know, Thomas, I know you'll die for me. Sure, sure you will. But we're, we're, we're preparing you for something here. Reevaluation, consecration. Sometimes people don't come back from that, by the way. It's just a little too much. You ever see The Matrix? There's a, this guy, red pill, blue pill, or whatever it was. You take whichever pill. Next thing you know, you're in reality. Reality's a little too much. I want to go back. I'm going to go back to the fantasy. I want to get out of this mess. This is too raw. Get me out of here, man. The, the fun feeling wore off. A lot of people, they'll check out on number five. Number six, ooh, now you made it. You, you sucked it up, soldier. You know, officer and a gentleman, there is nowhere else to go. Richard Gere, for you old folks. I have nowhere else to go. This is the only path to take, right? I must follow Jesus. And so uh, you now have the character of Christ. It's manifest in the life of the disciple as God entrusts him with leadership of ministry. And I will tell you that even though there's seven, these kind of, I will tell you in your life, these will even kind of rotate a little bit. I can remember going through these steps when I was a young, young man, my senior year of high school. I, I remember just starting my fall season of high school and just like, man, Lord, this is changing my life, like for real. Like decisions, big decisions, college, vocation, you know, a lot of things were changing in my life. And I was making huge decisions and they, and they proved to be huge. And they affect me standing right here where I am right now as a high school student. I'm glad I made the right ones. It was a reevaluation because I had to lose. It was pretty lonely there for a minute. And then right after that, boom, the floodgates open and God would bless. So you got you to gotta go through these processes. But I would also say years down the road, I kind of came through that again, just at a different level. You know, so God kind of steps you through and the consecration keeps coming. Then there's world vision and consecration. Notice the word consecration keeps coming up because <laughs> you keep getting consecrated. The believer comes to that place that following Christ is the only thing they can do regardless of their vocation. This isn't talking about being a preacher or missionary. This is who you are, and everybody knows it. So you're not playing two sides of the coin on Facebook. This is who I am. It's not fake. It's not phony. I'm the same guy at church that I am on Facebook that I am at home. And so... Uh, that's who you got to be. You got to be this person or you're not. So Christ is the only thing, right? It's that, that point the human, disciple, the human discipleship ends and the believer is ready to be sent to the world <clears throat> to accomplish the Great Commission. Now, I have an eighth one, which is reproduction of local New Testament churches. And I do believe that in every healthy church, God will raise up people through this process and then we will send them off to, to plant other local New Testament churches, if not down in Bates County or Clinton or up in Grandview, or somewhere else, uh, then perhaps around the world, right? Or maybe they join a team, like Mike 
Renault over in Boston or they get, go down to Tampa and they help out with um, uh, Mark Schaefer or whatever. But God sends people and they go and they accomplish his mission, his power, and his glory. Okay, so let me just pause here. How many of you are familiar with this already? Several of you are. Go ahead. Just I want for a show of hands because I'm kind of interested. So probably about two-thirds. All right, so for the one-third that's not, uh, this doesn't happen overnight. This is, it took three and a half years for Jesus to get Peter to the place that he was just realizing what he didn't know, right? So, so this is not like, oh, I got saved yesterday. I am Now, when you, talk, when you evaluate yourself, when I talk to people, which I do a lot when it comes to people like, hey, Brian, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do this. I'm going to do that. I like to ask him, okay, where would you say you are on the seven stages of spiritual growth or the eight stages of spiritual growth? And, you know, oftentimes you know a lot of people, oh, I'm number seven, I'm number seven. Oftentimes that is not the case. It just isn't. But that's where you should want to be. And so what I would ask is it doesn't matter what I think. (laughs) It really doesn't. What really matters is what does God think? That's really what I'm, that's why I asked that question. In your heart with God, where really are you? Now, each one of these is broken down. This is based on, this This seven is actually based on the actual process of Jesus meeting the disciples, saying, come and see them, say, oh, where do you live? And they go see, and then the next thing you know, he's like, hey, come to Cana of Galilee, and they're experiencing his miracles. The next thing you know, he's telling them to carry their cross. The next thing he's sending them out two by two. next thing you know, they're out in the middle of the ocean without him, wondering what's going on, or in the Sea of Galilee without him, and there's a storm, there was going on. You know, there's Jesus walking on the water. And, you know, so there's all of this stuff that went on in their life where Jesus was, he was proving them, he was testing them, he was teaching them, and he was working with them. And well, they were just following Jesus. And all this stuff was happening in their life. Guys, that's what discipleship is all about. That's why we have us here at this church, there's a structure, discipleship one. You can read. You, if you want to hit seven and go, and go to eight, we do have a literal structure here. By faith, we have it employed and we're working it. D1, D2, HBI, why do we do that? That knowledge alone is not going to get you there, but it is a, it's part of it. It's a very clear path from salvation to sending. And we want to be available to God, because if I don't provide that as your pastor, uh, and we don't sustain that as your pastors, which we do, I can't do it by myself. And by the way, if you haven't noticed, I need more pastors to come up in this church I mean, I think Randy's going to be with us a while, but I can't say that Jim's going to be able to get back to HBI. I don't know. Right? I need, I need guys. And by the way, I'm not getting any younger. Right? This, this has to work. Discipleship, what Jesus did, has to work. Why? Because if you haven't noticed, there's a huge spiritual battle going on. I mean, this world needs Jesus, and we need as many trained professionals, Christian soldiers, mature people, as possible, that can handle the Word of God, rightly divide the Word of God, rightly apply the Word of God. I'm fired up thinking about it. All right, so there's your seven stages. You can measure yourself by that, and you should. All right, point D. So Christians uh, who grow up have, have, have to power up to stand up in the evil day. Now notice that in verse 10. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of your might. No, his might. You've got to power up in Christ. Put on the whole armor of God, right? You need to get the armor of God on that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. In verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all 
to stand. Standing is all you're called to do. Not run, not, not retract, not, uh, what's that? Retreat, not run forward, not retreat. Stand. Stand is all you're called to do. Stand, therefore. So he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. So our strength to be the child, servant, master, and soldier comes from the Lord's might. Not our strength, but his strength. Ephesians 6.10 says, we, we covered that. It's the only mention in the New Testament of the phrase, his might, is verse 10 that we just read. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. It's the only place you're going to find that. Now, in Jeremiah chapter 9, we want to make sure that there is that we're not dealing with the power of our flesh because it's easy for all of us to do that. I've done that, unfortunately. I'm sure you've done it. We all do it. We shouldn't do it. And God teaches us not to do it when we do it. So Jeremiah 9.22 says, Speak, thus saith the Lord, Even the carcasses of men shall fall as dung upon the open field, and as the handful after the harvest man, and none shall gather them. Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. So, we got a decision to make. Whose might are we in? His might or your might? Right? Jeremiah is a warning. Don't stand in, don't let the man stand in his might. But Ephesians 6.10 says you need to be strong in the Lord's might. Be might. Stand in his might, his power, not your own power. And so, so we got to make a decision. Who's, whose power are we going to stand in? It sounds simple, but it's not as simple. Remember, Peter would have told you, well, what would Peter have said? Well, I'm standing in your might. He'd have got up here and preached it loud. But when push came to shove and the battle was on, whose might did he stand in? His. And, and I'm not knocking Peter because I'm just as liable to do that as the next guy. So it's important in the Laodicean church age to distinguish between the maker and the methods. We can easily rely on our methods instead of the maker. And so another, there's another verse in Isaiah 31 and verse 1. It says, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. And to stay on horses and trust in chariots, because they are many. And in horsemen, because they are very strong. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Oh man, isn't that scary? Think about that in context of what of where we are today. How many people think you're sound and secure? Remember Babylon? Nebuchadnezzar? His son, actually. Wasn't that Nebuchadnezzar, his son? Uh, I think I was Belteshazzar. Yeah, Belshazzar. Oh, he thought he was having a party, man. He was so secure. There, were, there was walls around Babylon. There were moats around Babylon. And there were walls around that. And, and, and a river going through the middle. And he was so sure nothing was ever going to touch him. And then God comes down and writes on the wall and says, You're done tonight, pal. It's over. Quit messing with my... Quit mocking me. It's over. I'm paraphrasing. And it was over. And the Medes and the Persians were in charge, just like that. Why? Because he trusted in his own might, instead of the might of God. We live in a country with nuclear weapons, and we think the most sophisticated military this, that, and the other thing. Guys, are you kidding? What keeps America safe is the mercy and the grace of God Almighty. That's all it is. 
If you don't think we're vulnerable, then you are in the wrong place. If you think technology is that sophisticated, you're a fool. You're a fool. What keeps us secure is Jesus. And the fact that very few people believe that or know it is even scarier. So you do, we do have something to be worried about. That is that there's a lot of people listening to what I'm saying, or they're really not listening to what I'm saying. Plus, if they were, I'd be screened off of the Internet anyway. So anyway, the bottom line is, is there's a lot of people that don't know the truth, that our, our might, our power, our security, everything lies in Christ, our maker. Man, don't say that, don't say that you can have enough horses. I got enough tanks. I got enough horses. I got enough nukes. I got enough money. You know what? If you don't have the Lord, you don't have anything. Goliath thought he had enough size. He thought he had enough fingers. He had 12 of them, you know. He had more of everything, but he didn't have God. And he was mocking God. I mean, there's just a lesson there over and over and over and over again. You don't sit around in your own strength and then mock God. Uh, you will find that you have no strength. I'm just saying. So, for the Christian soldier, the first people that should know that are us. Sir, yes, sir, we get it. Yes, sir. You are our strength. No matter what. We are not intimidated. We do understand this. That our power comes from you. You are our power. So, place your faith. This is what we got to do. We got to place our faith in God's might. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Another passage, Isaiah chapter 40. To whom then will he liken me? Or who shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things that bringeth out their hosts by number? He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Now, there's coming a day, Jesus is coming, and he's going to have horses, <laughs> and he's going to have soldiers, and there's going to be nobody that can stand before him, and the sharp two-edged sword that comes out of his mouth. So there's nothing wrong with great methodology, by the way, but our might is in Christ. Uh, Zechariah 4.6, a very familiar passage, Then he answered and spoke unto me, saying, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. The work in Jerusalem was not going to get done just because there was people there that could have done the work. It was a spiritual battle. The context of Zechariah is the building of the temple in the time of Ezra. He's like, Don't rely on the hand of the flesh. You need the power of God. And so we need to remember the promise of Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, I will, uh, he's speaking to Peter, and, he, and I say unto thee that thou art Peter, which is small rock, right, Petra? And upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, a lot of people get their doctrine messed up and say, oh, see, Peter's the first pope. That's not at all what it's saying. What he's saying is, I will build my church. Jesus is building the church. He's, yeah, I used Peter. Peter was the apostle of the Jews. He's the apostle, he's the pastor in Jerusalem. Yeah, that's all true. Uh, not in Rome, by the way. Uh, and so, what he, but what the point is, is Jesus is saying, I've got the power. Long before C&C Music Factory. And he's saying, I've got the power. Someone gets that. Thank you, brother. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You got it. <laughs> so, it's true. 
So Christian warriors place no confidence. This isn't supposed to be funny. No confidence in their flesh, but on the, in the power of the armor of God, right? There's no, we can't put any, excuse me, I think a bug just flew in my face. Um, so we can't put any confidence in, in our flesh. Uh, boy, it's fun to do that, though. We, we like to try that. We can't allow any confidence in this flesh. Now, Romans 13, uh, 13, 14 says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no or make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So and we're talking about putting on the whole armor of Christ. Isn't that something that, Ro- that Paul to the Romans says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Put on, put off. He talks about that. Ephesians as well. In this book, putting on and putting off. Back in, uh, what was that, chapter... Uh, I know where it's at on the page. At least I thought I did. Put ye on the Lord Jesus. Anyway, I think it's chapter 4. So moving on. But anyway, so put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. What? Let's just get real. What do we provide for our flesh to allow it to fulfill the lust thereof instead of putting on Christ? That's what, that's what Paul's saying. What do we replace Christ with? What is it? You know, there's a lot of things you could you could replace Christ with. A job, money, conveniences of life, whatever. But you're trusting it instead of Jesus. Paul says, don't do that. Don't make provision for your flesh. It doesn't mean your flesh, you can't use your flesh. We should push the, the old carcass around, right? Get under our flesh. Push it around. Tell it what to do. You know, make it get up and do, and I'm, gonna, I'm getting convicted just saying this, get up and do push-ups and sit-ups. I need to do that, right? I need to push my flesh to do that, right? Today, staying away from the food that I want to eat, right? Don't make provision. You don't need that. Peanuts are fine. So, so we, can't all, we, we cannot allow the confidence in the flesh. Paul was, was one of the most brilliant men of his era, and he didn't trust his own ability. Isn't that amazing? And the guy was brilliant. In Romans 7, 18, he said, uh, For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. So if Paul struggled with his flesh, what makes us think we're not? If Peter struggled with his flesh, that's part of discipleship, isn't it? Learn how to deal with our flesh and to be faithful in the battle. All right. What in the world there? That was kind of getting ahead of ourselves. All right. Got a little cray-cray. All right, so we can't stand against uh, spiritual battles, or beings, I'm sorry, in carnal fleshly bodies. It's a spiritual war. So God God uh, provides <clears throat> all of us the power that we need uh, through him. Our job is to put on the whole armor of God, Ephesians 6, verse 11, right? Peter, or Paul goes on to say, but put on... The whole, not some of it, but the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. All right, so we, we have the promise that if we put on the armor, we may stand against the wiles of the devil. It doesn't say you might, you may. Um, so notice it says the devil and not the devil with the capital D, small d. 
So God will not allow you to face anything that you're not equipped to deal with. God, God will give you victories to show you his faithfulness in the face of opposition. So put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand, meaning you will be able to stand. Not hope you might make it, but you will be able to stand if you put on the whole armor of God. So this gets me to where I was. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. There's a lot in this passage right here, starting in the first part of it, which is there's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. The first lie the devil wants to tell you is you're the only one that's got this issue, whatever this issue is. It's just not true. There's lots of people who have that issue, this issue, whatever this issue is. So just know that. No matter how weird it is, perverse it is, whatever, it's an issue. Sure it is, but God is well able to overcome it. There's no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. God's able to deal with this, well able to overcome it. And you, can, and you know what? He can make it to where you can escape, and, and you'll be able to bear it. So uh, that's where we're going to stop. Wow, what in the world? Numbers. Okay, we'll, we'll stop there. That's a lot. Let me, let me pause there. We'll come back to this next week, and uh, Lord willing. And then we'll keep working through the passages as uh, we, we go on down through the end of, end of this uh, section. All right, any questions tonight where we are? All right. Are you, is, is this, is this, is this, are you guys gleaning anything? I hope this is profitable. Do this for me. What can you leave here today? What can you do tonight that you want not, what, what have you, what are you going to walk away with and do? Yes, Pam. Yes. Mm. Oh, praise God. That's awesome. Well, that's a, that's encouraging. Thank you. Awesome. Anybody else? Something you can actually walk away? That's really good. Well, what a... I hope all this just kind of goes through us and we just let it go right out and we never apply any of it. No, I'm just kidding. I, 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 uh, I don't hope that. I hope that God, think about that because Bible study is no good if we can't use it, right? It, it's, it's, if it's not practical enough to walk out of here and use, then it's not worth anything. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to give us at least one thing that we can leave here with tonight that'll affect us because there's a real spiritual battle. It's no joke. And God wants us all to be ready. He, he puts you here tonight in his providence for a reason. This is where he wants you. He wants you to think about these things. He wants me to think about these things. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we conclude.